Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP LP Louisville, broadcasting from the top of this here historic Hayburn building in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM, or maybe you're listening to our live stream at forwardradio.org. You can listen anywhere you are at forwardradio.org. And while you're there, become a part of this station. This is radio for the people, by the people. We are totally grassroots, y'all. We, we would love to have you behind these microphones helping out producing programming even if it's just a one-time access hour about an issue or piece of music or something that you're passionate about we would love to get you on the airwaves or we need help behind the scenes as well and we rely entirely on listener contributions so go to forwardradio.org and click donate for 20 bucks you could sponsor the entire day's broadcast how cool is that so let's keep this great community treasure going by chipping in at forwardradio.org well my name is Justin Mogg and here on sustainability now what we do each week is bring in folks from around the community who are doing work on various pieces of the sustainability puzzle and I'm delighted to have here in the studio with me Laura Mattingly welcome Laura hello it's great to have you here uh, Laura's a planner and project manager for the US Army Corps of Engineers in the Louisville district and she's a proud U of L graduate That's uh, right. she just reminded me that she first met me uh, while she was a master's student in land use and environmental planning mm-hmm. at U of L but she also earned a bachelor's in wildlife and conservation biology out at, at a beautiful Murray State in the western part of our state and now she is leading cross functional Functional teams on water resources projects focused on flood risk management, ecosystem restoration, and planning studies. She started with the Corps of Engineers in March of 2019 Mm -hmm. and has worked with numerous partners on projects I think I've talked about on this show before, such as the plan for the Ohio River Basin, which Mm -hmm. is a basin-wide strategic document. We might talk about that, too, with a 13-state outreach effort. But she's also uh, the program manager and lead planner on the Three Forks of Beargrass Creek Ecosystem Restoration Feasibility Study, which is going to be the focus of our conversation today. This, friends, is a $134 million (laughs) restoration effort that is scheduled to be approved. Do I have this right? Next August? The plans, the, the feasibility plan, will, plan okay. yes, will be finalized and approved next August, oh. meaning it'll be ready to go into design and then construction. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. First question, where is this $134 million coming for our beautiful Beargrass Creek? Our studies are cost-shared with a non-federal sponsor. Okay. So it is half funded by the Corps of Engineers, mm. and the other half is coming from our uh, Louisville Metropolitan Sewer District, oh, our yeah. wonderful sponsor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because MSD has been under this EPA consent decree to clean up our local waterways, and I imagine this is part of it, but it's a little more than what I traditionally think of MSD doing, which is a lot of, it's been a lot of gray infrastructure, but some green infrastructure too to sort of keep stormwater out of the creek but mm-hmm. this is an actual restoration of the three forks of beargrass creek which that's a really exciting and much needed project right mm-hmm. yes uh, how did this all come about 
Good question. <laughs> <laughs> has it been in the works a long time? It has. It's been a while. There was talks about it for at least a couple years that I'm aware of beforehand. Yeah. Okay. But yes, we started this project in 2019. Okay. So the funding came through and we had a few ideas for who might be the sponsor for this. Mm. MSD ended up stepping forward okay. and, and being the one to yeah. share this with us. Yes. And Beargrass Creek, is it fair to say is sort of the most impaired waterway in the county, if not the region? I can't say that for a fact, yeah. but it's very, very degraded. Yeah. Literally hundreds of years, right. 150 years of development that has manipulated and degraded the whole system. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And when we talk about ecological restoration of a waterway, we can't just think narrowly about like water quality. It has to mm -hmm. be a, a much bigger project than that, right? And I'm sure we'll dive into some of those details, but your study that you're working on is the feasibility of can we restore this ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? And and so is it too early to say if the, if it's possible? <laughs> is it feasible? I, I, we are far enough along in our study now that I think that yes, we have 12 different sites that we have chosen to do some work on, both in-stream and riparian work. Or um, I don't know if I need to define that. Please do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the uh, vegetation along the sides of streams and rivers, mm -hmm. um, often floodplains and stream bank. Or the concrete along the... Or it can <laughs> yeah. be that, yes, <laughs> which it is a lot yeah. here on, on our South Fork, especially. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I live on, so I'm most familiar yeah. with the, the concrete open air tunnel, basically, mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. it feels like. Uh, and I've always thought, of like, oh, what a great opportunity this would be to restore this ecosystem or make it even a space that people could access too. Is, is recreation mm -hmm. at all considered in this feasibility study or access? So with our studies, the first focus is ecosystem restoration, but we do consider all the other benefits that come along with that, yeah. which would be recreation, of course. Water quality improvement is another yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Kind of chicken and egg there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are other benefits that come along with it. However, we do focus on ecosystem restoration. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think I should have backed up a little bit first because I'm not sure that our listeners would be really familiar with who the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is and why is there the U.S. Army involved in, <laughs> mm -hmm. in restoring the Beargrass Creek. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I am with the Civil Works branch, so we are non-military, right. so we do all works within our communities. The Corps of Engineers is divided up by districts, which is essentially watersheds. Oh. Um, so the Louisville district covers not just Kentucky, but parts of Ohio and Indiana, huh. Illinois, parts of Tennessee. So huh. it's a very large area that we look at. So we have projects all over our district. Okay. But it just so happens we got this wonderful project here at home for us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm thinking in my mind, like, what's my connection to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers? The thing I think of is the McAlpin Locks and Dam. Uh -huh. Yes. Is that just like another wing of what the Corps does? That is our operations. Yes. So we do locks and dams. We also have, you think about all these lakes that we have that are made through reservoirs. Yeah. So There's we, a lot of those in yes. our state. Yeah. So we manage all of those we built and manage most of the ones in Kentucky. There are some, of course, there's other ones throughout the country that are not built or managed right. by. Us. TVA right. is is one that would manage things like that in Tennessee. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And do they manage down there at Land Between the Lakes, down where you went to college in Murray? Uh, yes. Okay. That that is not one of our lakes. That's TVA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
Cool. All right. I have a better feel for that now. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're working with a cross-functional team. Who's on that team? So within the Corps of Engineers, we have economists, oh, wow. biologists, archaeologists, just about every kind of engineer you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> Cost engineers, civil engineers, hydraulic engineers. This study in particular had a very large team. Oh. Um, we also consider our sponsor to be part of our project team, of course, because we work closely with them throughout the whole process. Yeah. We also, with this one in particular, we had MSD, of course, and then they had a contractor, Stantec, and so they were also part of our team. Right, right. They often mm -hmm. work with these mm -hmm. independent contractors. And then how does the team work together? Do you assign different pieces of it and then someone like you is in charge of assembling it or is it really collaborative? It is collaborative. As the project manager, I kind of orchestrate yeah. a, a lot of it. Our team is very knowledgeable and people really have stepped up and really, I don't feel like they need that much direction from me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> but yeah, we all, uh, we meet, especially with this project. I mean, some projects you don't meet, you know, on a weekly or even bi-weekly basis, but this particular one, during most of the project, we have met on a weekly basis because wow. there was always so much going on with such a large study area mm -hmm. and with so many team members and just lots of pieces of the puzzle. So, okay. yeah. The other thing I really want to know, too, is, is this ecosystem restoration feasibility study for Beargrass Creek being built upon other studies I'm familiar with of the Beargrass Creek? Like, the, boy, it was three or four years ago. I've got a great map hanging on my, on my office wall from it uh, when there was a sort of a recreational study done of at least one of the forks of the Beargrass Creek where we're thinking about multi-use paths and things like that. Mm -hmm. So is this project informed by some of that history? Somewhat, yes. And I think the study you may be talking about was the, we did a planning, it's called planning assistance to states. Okay. That's the funding through the government. But our planning studies are essentially just whatever the need is at yeah. the time. It's yeah. pretty open. Uh, so that was more of a recreational study mm -hmm. on the Middle Fork. So yes, we actually had a few of the team members that worked on that on this team okay. and did inform it. That was also in collaboration with Beargrass Creek yeah. Alliance. So they were involved early on in this study when we were doing our scoping and we were having our stakeholder and public meetings. So they also gave input. Yeah. Yeah. So Beargrass Creek Alliance is just a, a community, grassroots community mm -hmm. group advocating for, I'm sure, ecological restoration, but cleaning up the, the creek in general, right? Mm -hmm. And they sponsor trash cleanups and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have they been involved in this study or will they be? Is that the sort of next phase is put a public comment? or We have actually already had a public comment comment period okay. on this. We have a draft report and that was back in May of this oh, year. All right. We released it. It was a 30 day review. Okay. And then it also goes out to stakeholders and everything. But yeah, like I said, Beargrass Creek Alliance, Kentucky Waterways Alliance, they were all involved early on in the study during our scoping meetings and everything. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, wow. It's it's just so exciting to think about $134 million going into Beargrass mm -hmm. Creek. To, I, I don't know where to begin, but I guess what are some of the fundamental goals of this project overall? How would we measure success in this project? Well, to start, we had two main objectives. One was to restore the quality and connectivity of in-stream habitat okay. 
and the other one was to restore the quality and connectivity of the riparian habitat. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. those are were our two focuses. I'd say as far as measuring success, that's a really good question. Hmm. Once a project is implemented, we do have monitoring and adaptive management plans where you, usually it's a five-year plan. You're watching it, you're setting performance standards. So success is measured by whether or not you're meeting those. And if something happens where that adaptive management portion is triggered, like let's say a flood that right. wipes out a bunch of plantings that you just put in oh, <laughs> and right. they didn't get a chance to get established, then you go back in and, and you fix all of that and replant it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure something you're going to be measuring is water quality itself. So looking at chemical contamination, biological contamination, sedimentation, those kinds of things. But how do we measure, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how we measure the health of a whole ecosystem. Are we looking for species diversity and that kind of thing? Oh, sure. I'll, I'll kind of back up to yeah, answer fine. that That's a little fine. bit. When we were early on in the study and we were measuring existing conditions to try to get an idea of where we're starting at. Yeah. We did, oh gosh, 60 site visit. There were 60 different sites throughout the wow. watershed Wow. where we went in and we did two different assessments. We were looking at an in-stream assessment and then we had a separate one that was built for the riparian conditions. So we were going in and looking for, for example, for in-stream, you're looking at things like the diversity of the substrate. You know, you've got all different sizes of, of rocks and yeah. pebbles, mm -hmm. um, sedimentation. Mm -hmm. That is one indication of erosion and, and things that keep little creatures from getting in between rocks yeah. and they can't, you know, they can't do their thing. Yeah. Let's see. We look at the natural flow of the stream. Mm. You know, a stream is naturally supposed to meander. Meander, right. Yeah. And much of bare grass has been channelized. Yeah. Um, and that is because of development. And basically, there was a time in our history where we just wanted to get water out as quickly as right. possible. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that concrete channel works great it for works that. Great, yeah. <laughs> if that's the only thing you're looking it's, at. It's funny. We took the t same approach to our roadways in downtown Louisville. Wide, mm -hmm. wide concrete channels to move people out, right. out as quickly right. as possible. Yeah. And now we now we see the negative impacts of both of those things. That's I'm, right. I'm speaking today with Laura Mattingly. She's a planner and project manager for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers right here in their Louisville district. And she is working on and lead planner on the Three Forks of Beargrass Creek Ecosystem Restoration Feasibility Study, which is part of a $134 million restoration effort scheduled to begin next fall, August of 2022. Uh, so we got we got plenty of time to consider this, <laughs> but I'm glad I've, I've got I've got you on the air now to let people give them a heads up that this is coming. It's very exciting. So I suppose there are some people who may be listening to this thinking, I don't know, is this really a good use? $134 million? Like, there's a lot of problems in our city that we could be spending this money on. I guess, how do we justify spending taxpayer dollars on an ecosystem restoration project? Well, I would just say that even though we're focused on the ecosystem restoration and creating habitat or restoring habitat, there are many benefits for the public. As we mentioned earlier, water quality, better yeah. water quality, recreational benefits. I'm an urban planner, so I always <laughs> go back to, you know, all the studies that indicate the benefits to, you know, physical and mental health for having access to green space. Oh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a really big benefit. 
Not to mention there are local economic impacts. Anytime you've got good access to green space, you have potential for businesses to pop up, you know, um, so there, there's lots of different benefits there to the public. Yeah, there really are. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about Beargrass Creek is all the different kinds of landscapes it, it flows through. I mean, it's got three different branches. So, yes, mm-hmm. I mean, it flows from suburban mall kind of parking lot areas <laughs> through some of our biggest green spaces like Cherokee Park. Mm-hmm. Right. And then down to like my neighborhood where it's very urban, very little green space and it's a concrete channel. So. I guess that makes me think that you must be breaking this planning effort or feasibility study down into a bunch of different pieces. Like there have to be different solutions for the different types of yes. landscapes, right? Absolutely. Yes. When we were doing what, what we call plan formulation, okay, we started with many, many, many sites. I think we had 266 to start. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, and a site could be what? Any length of the creek? I mean, the boundaries depended, you know, property lines, um, you know, you think about like park boundaries and things like that. Roadways kind of broke things up a little bit here and there. But we started with that many. And the first part of our process was to narrow that down. Once we had a more digestible amount of (laughs) sites, then we started thinking about what types of things that we can do at those sites. And basically, we had a suite of different plans that we went through and looked at each of the remaining sites. I believe at this time, when we started this, we had about 21 sites. So we did a screening process, essentially, where we go in and look at all the different things that we might do, such as removing connectivity barriers or just simple in-stream work where you're putting in riffles, you know, with rocks or woody Mm. debris, things like that. Um, All the way up to creation of wetlands. So we've got all these things that we could do, and we're looking at it at a site-by-site basis. So like what you're talking about, how different all of these places are. So, you know, we screen those based on how those measures would work at each site. So we're looking at the ones that would actually work there and all the different factors that would yeah, the relative costs of, I mean, right. if you had to acquire land, for instance, that would be huge. That's or, a big one, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. But also just things like soil type, you know, it's not right. easy to make a wetland unless you've got the right types of soil, things yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you specifically mentioned removing connectivity barriers. Mm-hmm. Help our listeners understand what that, what's a connectivity barrier? What does that mean? It could even just be like a culvert. You know, something that goes under a road where you've got, you know, you've got substrate and then it goes into a culvert and you've got nothing. <laughs> it's just <laughs> fast moving water yeah. <laughs> with nothing for little critters to hold on to. So, um, I mean, honestly, the entire concrete channel on the yeah. South Fork could be considered sort of a connectivity barrier. <laughs> yeah, you kind of need a rope to get yeah. down in there. <laughs> or um, changes in elevation for fish to be able to travel. That's another oh. big one. Is there anywhere along the Beargrass Creek where there is something significant like that? I'm trying to think. There are a few, and I honestly okay. couldn't tell you exactly yeah. where it is because I remember talking about them. Yeah. Um, and I did never see any on the site visits, so but they do exist. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 Huh. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to ask about sort of, okay, layman's perspective here, things I've noticed that are happening along Beargrass Creek, just in my wanderings about town. Two things. One thing is a project I know that MSD has already implemented to restore a riparian zone is right there along Grinstead at Mm. Patterson. Yes. So that's sort of 
it's kind of amazing that that already is that part of this project or did it it is not that okay. is, that is msd's project yeah it's a very very cool project there that they did yeah i noticed that when they first did it i was driving past one day and i saw i mean they did something that is also in our plans where they basically just totally re-sculpted that stream through there took out all the invasives yeah. and then planted back native species. Yeah. 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 And I, they might have done more there, but that's all that I immediately noticed when it wrote. Yeah. So they're it. trying to recreate that natural meander mm -hmm. in some respect. Yeah. So when mm -hmm. you used to pass by that area, it looked like this dense jungle, like you could not see through this thicket. And for someone who doesn't know about like species and exotics and things like that, you might think, oh, that's great green space. Well, right. it was just loaded with these invasive species that uh, prevented the, the natives from thriving. Mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't function very well ecologically or for slowing down our waterways either. And, right. and why is the speed of the water so important? Why does that matter? You mean from a habitat perspective? From any perspective. I mean, what's bad about just trying to get the water out of the city oh, as quickly ooh. as possible? Um, <laughs> Where do I begin? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, for one thing, if you have very fast-moving water all the time, you're going to have many, many issues with erosion. That's right. And sedimentation downstream. I think the, the other big part that I can think of as far as habitat is, like I said a second ago, thinking about little critters having places to grab onto. I mean, if it's just constantly flowing very, very fast, it's just going to, yeah. it's flashy and it's just going to wash everything down. Yeah. Imagine you trying to live in right. that environment, right? It wouldn't be very good for you. Very hostile. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So actually, I mean, it's true with humans too. One of the things that's very unsustainable about us is fast living. Mm -hmm. And, and so true. fast water, I just made that connection in my brain, is another, <laughs> just like, like fast that. food, yeah. we don't want fast water. Mm -hmm. Uh, so part of this is actually slowing down the water so that we can enjoy it and mm -hmm. so that critters can enjoy it too instead of being, like you say, real flash flooding or mm -hmm. flash moving. That's cool. So, th okay, that's the one project I was curious about. The other one is I know that the Beargrass Creek multi-use path has been closed for years for a big MSD project, which I think is related to the big tunnel under the city. And all of a sudden I went by there the other day and the barricades are down. Is the path open again? Do you know anything about that project? Or I that... Have, well, I don't know much about that project <laughs> okay. and I don't want to speak for MSD. <laughs> However, I have ridden my bike on that path oh, okay. recently. So it I is know open it's open. Again. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> saw there's lots a... of turtles. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's so many turtles <laughs> yeah. down there. Yeah. And you, saw, you see some egrets and, and mm -hmm. great blue herons and things like that, I always really enjoyed paddling down through that area, which felt kind of magical, like I'm disappearing into nature in the middle of the city. It's wonderful. But then there were also issues with like, you know, sedimentation on the path itself and mm -hmm. things like that. So I don't know. Clearly that area has to be part of this restoration feasibility study. So is there anything to say about that particular spot? We do have plans in that area to do some wetland work. Oh. And then with the trail there, part of our the recreation piece, we are going to reroute that trail around oh. the wetland areas cool. that we create and do some kind of, you know, walking paths and places to huh. do some wildlife viewing. Mm -hmm. So that means that the geology there works for wetlands mm -hmm. and that there's, uh, it must be, there's enough flat space around mm -hmm. the creek. It's also right along the highway too, right? I'm trying to think. The highway is just to the north. Just to the, the north yes. of it. Yeah. And our work is going to be on the other side. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that'll be really nice. Wow. 
All right. Those are two specific things I definitely wanted to ask about, <laughs> but I know there's a lot involved in this plan. So is it too late for the public to have any input on this study at this point? Unfortunately, we've already had okay. Our, okay. our public comment <laughs> period. I will say, as we were talking about earlier, we had a pretty extensive outreach effort at the beginning of the study. That was in November ish of 2019 oh, wow. we had a, a big public meeting with a really great turnout public meeting we did. wow I mean, remember just those in time. <laughs> just in time <laughs> oh. yeah i know it's sad are we ever gonna have those again I yeah <laughs> um but yeah, we did have that. Um, we we did the stakeholder outreach portion. We did an agency meeting where we had people from different agencies like Division of Water come out, okay. Fish and Wildlife. And then we did have a public comment period in May. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. I just wanted mm-hmm. to make sure. Mm-hmm. And do you recall, were there any big themes coming out of that public comment about what the public really wanted? Oh, many times you hear a lot about recreation. Oh, yeah. So, right, of course, right. there's always recreation. I feel like both Middle and South, they're the more urbanized of the three. Muddy Fork goes off along River Road kind of area yeah. and out Indian Hills and, and mm. that area. So it's not quite as visible to the public. Right. So you don't get as many of those types of comments. I see it when yeah. I go along Melwood, mm-hmm. right? But And it floods a lot down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, I don't think about it too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when people mention recreation, mm-hmm. are they are they talking about paddling? Is that something that people want to do? Access. That's a big one. Yeah. Yes. More paddling access. Okay. We got a lot of comments about trash. I mean, that's a big one. Yeah. There's a lot of debris and litter in Beargrass Creek. But I mean... <sighs> What do we do about that except keep the trash off of our streets? Because, like, how do you right. how do you keep it out of there in the first place? Unfortunately, that's something that's <laughs> difficult to address within a study like this. Yeah. Um, there are lots of local efforts out there doing cleanups. I mean, this is like a like a PSA. People don't litter because it's going to end up in Paragrass Creek. Yeah. I always, and then the Ohio. <laughs> I always wonder if, if people who litter... Do they really think that some public servant is going to come along and clean up after them? Because, mm-hmm. uh, boy, I wish we had that level of service mm-hmm. right in the city. The only thing that's going to happen to it is the wind's going to blow it and the rain is going to take it. And it's going to end up in our waterways and then ultimately in our rivers and in our oceans, too. And mm-hmm. we all know, like, the problem with plastics and microplastics at that level and what damage it does and how much it ruins things we love whether it's a local waterway or a beach we like to go to in the summer or something like that right Mm -hmm. so yes good PSA (laughs) you you got that directly from Laura Mattingly my guest today here on sustainability now with me Justin Mogg Laura is a planner and project manager for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in the Louisville district and she's leading cross-functional teams on water resources Resources projects, including this Three Forks of Beargrass Creek Ecosystem Restoration Feasibility Study. It's a $134 million restoration effort scheduled to go through approvals and start begin construction in 2022. So that's really exciting. I wanted to ask, too, about the other things you've been involved with. Uh, so the plan for the Ohio River Basin. Can you share a little bit about that? This is a basin-wide strategic document. Wow. How do we even make plans at a 13 
state level. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I will say this. To start, the sponsor for that that we worked with was Orsenko, which is the Ohio Valley River Sanitation Commission. I might have messed that up. That I sounds always, about right. I yeah. always <laughs> mess up that acronym. I'm so sorry, Richard Harrison. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> calls that. it Orsenko. <laughs> He's the director. <laughs> it's a wonderful organization. Yeah. Um, so um, Orsenko and then the Ohio River Basin Alliance. I, we worked with both of them. They have been working in this realm for years. So basically, we worked with them to do a very extensive public outreach effort. We did online meetings. We traveled. Uh, we had a, a whirlwind tour Wow! <laughs> where we went to Pittsburgh and uh, Cincinnati and Nashville and had meetings at all th- in all three of those wow. cities. Yeah, just lots of feedback from agencies and the public to create this plan that um, basically lays out there's six main goals within it, and then basically the strategies to meet those goals. <laughs> it, it's a dense document, mm. I will say that. Mm. It's um, There's just a lot, like you said, I mean, with something mm. such a big area, yeah. it's very challenging, yeah. but wonderful to be able to get all that input from all these different people in yeah. all these different locations. It was a great experience. And we're... S- some of those goals, I'm sure, overlap with the Beargrass Creek plan, right? Is it ecosystem restoration? or There is a piece to okay. it, that it that talks about ecosystem restoration um, and, you know, environmental stewardship and all that. Um, however, the goals and strategies for that plan are much broader, where you're literally looking at the big picture of the Ohio River yeah. Basin. So yeah. it doesn't get as many of the ideals match up, of right. course, but doesn't necessarily pertain specifically to Fairgrass. Well, and the Ohio River, I mean, that's an industrial river. It's a working river. It's a transportation corridor. Fairgrass Creek, not so much. I mean, it used to be pretty industrial, but not Mm -hmm. really. You don't see barge traffic Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fairgrass Creek. Well, okay, cool. So let's get back to Fairgrass Creek. Is there a place people can go online to find information about this feasibility study and project? Yes, on Is it our, our easy website. to announce over the over the radio. <laughs> oh gosh! If if you go to the Corps of Engineers Louisville District webpage, you will find there are several media releases that we've done on there. So you you'll be able to find information just the. The basic background information for the project itself, but then there's been some milestones along the way where we've posted public information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll put a link to it directly cool. in the yeah. show notes for the podcast of this uh, program, which you can find at forwardradio.org. So an agreement has now been signed, right? An official agreement for this restoration project. Is that an MSD Army Corps agreement or... So the agreement that we have right now is for the feasibility study itself, which is, um, I think I said earlier, I was talking about a a 50-50 cost share. The actual money that's going towards the study is 50-50 with MSD, between us and MSD. The next agreement will be the design and then construction agreement between MSD and ourselves. 
and we're still in the works on exactly who all will be on that agreement mm-hmm. because there may be multiple sponsors mm-hmm. or it could be something where MSD has third party agreements. So that's that's still in the works, but that will happen after the feasibility study has been completed. And that will be for the 134 million. And that is actually it's cost shared a little bit differently. Sixty five, thirty five. OK, so. OK. Mm-hmm. So the Army Corps will end up being the implementer as well, uh, doing some of the work yes. of restoration or through contracting. I don't yes. know. Yes, it, it depends. But yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we won't end up with like a lock and dam system or something that the Army Corps is going to be operating into the future. No, MSD, they will take over all maintenance of the project once it is constructed. Yes. Okay. The sponsor themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then is there an effort to think about Beargrass Creek as part of the larger watershed? I mean, we mentioned the other goals for the Ohio River. So is this feasibility study building on anything else that's more regionally focused? Or is it very specific? Like we've got this project we want to do in Beargrass Creek. and I would just say that, you know, you think about how many degraded urban watersheds (laughs) we have in this country. (laughs) And, you know, there are other examples of ecosystem restoration in similar urban areas. Really? Some, like L.A. River. They've done some work there. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. So I think maybe the the big regional message here or the connection would be to show that these urban watersheds are not hopeless. There are things that we can do to improve the the quality of the ecosystem and our environment in general. So I think that that was kind of one of our goals while we were thinking about what we wanted to do here Mm -hmm. was to kind of set an example, especially... I know one specific thing that we talked about was doing work on the concrete channel itself. So that runs, um, the concrete channel is on the South Fork and it runs about two and a half miles. Wow. Yeah. So two and a half miles is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that there's been the thought that, you know, that's too far gone. How can we ever change that? While the work that we are planning on doing is not to rip it all up and make it look like a natural stream again, I don't know that that's even possible. I mean, you know, with all the constraints that it has, mm-hmm. um, you know, with development budding right up against yeah, it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's think about utilities, <laughs> like yeah. all the, you know, that's another challenge with a study like this is Bridges. running into oh, yeah. infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on yeah. there, but there are things you can do to improve it to an extent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we definitely wanted to include some work on the concrete channel, no matter what, mm-hmm. on this study, because mm-hmm. we wanted to show that it could be done. Because the species we're trying to benefit, there has to be connectivity with the Ohio River, too. Like, there needs to be a a way for them to move through that Mm -hmm. would work. And so I'm sure it can be done in a concrete channel. It's just trying to to think about what that would look like. It's, Mm -hmm. It's kind of fascinating. So there are other cities along the Ohio River that have impaired waterways like this, right? And surely it's not just L.A., but... Trying to think if I can think of any examples regionally where there's been some work like this. Do you know of anything more in the Ohio Valley region? I should. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, okay. I know of one other study and I can't think of where it okay. was. <laughs> Put you because on the spot I there. looked at examples, but this was early on in the in the study and I I can't remember. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we may be breaking some new ground in our region then yeah. uh, with this work, which yeah. is is really exciting. And I'm sure the public will be interested in keeping their finger on the pulse of it. Mm-hmm. So 
We'll have to get you back sometime for sure. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, 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 well, I don't know if, if you're going to be involved in implementation side of things, or does that sort of go into somebody else's shop? This could be a career project oh, for wow. me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You've got the, a lot invested in Bear Grass Creek. Uh, then, yeah, that? I do. Yeah. <laughs> that is the plan. You know, I've, I've had it. It's kind of been my baby for a while yeah. now. So yeah. the plan is for me to, to continue yeah. being the project manager through construction. Mm-hmm. Well, and combined with the work that MSD has already done to reduce the combined sewer overflow problem that has been an ongoing impairment of Beargrass Creek's water quality, I mean, this could lead to, yeah, a real renaissance for the for the watershed, I think, uh, and, and really make it someplace fun and interesting to go to and safe uh, rather than sort of scary, I'm not sure I can even touch the water kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, for all, the, for all the critters you've been mentioning along the way, like that that's going to be key. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering too about sort of legacy pollutants. Like w- when I think about Beargrass Creek and I think about the history of it, I'm often thinking of like, oh, there were a lot of slaughterhouses along Beargrass Creek, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like, okay, there was gross like pig waste going in there and stuff like that. But that's not going to lead to like long-term detriment. Like it's going to flow away. Whereas mm-hmm. when I start thinking about, you know, there's a lot of talk about PFAS and these forever chemicals or mercury pollution and things like that. Is that also a challenge in the Beargrass Creek? Like, are we going to have to go in and clean up some of the historic pollution? That is not part of this study. We're not looking at um, doing any type of cleanup like that. Um, I do know that MSD has a water quality program. They do monitoring and do some work in that area. So I would say that's more on yeah. their side of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it's not as big of an issue in that creek, but uh, yeah, this this could be great. So uh, do you want to give any specific site along either any of the three forks that you'd really love to ha- talk about, like as a vision for a better, we've talked a lot about the concrete channel, mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> that's where our focus immediately goes, but is there anywhere else along the, the watershed that you really want to highlight is like, look how it is now, and, and here's what the potential is. Let's... Okay, I'm going to go with the confluence. So that's oh, that's the confluence. Where, that's where the Beargrass meets the Ohio. Which is it? It's a park. It's Ava Bandman yes. Park, right? Yes. Yes. We do have some plans there, some in-stream work going on there, and then also some wetland creation. Um, so that's oh. kind of near the MSD pump station. Yep. Kinda, it's over in that area. Mm-hmm. And also we've got some plans for some public access for paddling. Yeah. Um, and then we also talked about doing a pedestrian bridge connecting the Beargrass Greenway over yeah, to the other side of the, the Butcher creek. Town yeah. Greenway, right? Yes. 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 yes I love that. Mm-hmm. That's a great vision and mm-hmm. part of the Louisville Loop, which mm-hmm. who's, who knows if we'll ever have a full loop. But anyway, <laughs> there's some great paths along our Ohio River that could use some connectivity to those other ones. So, yeah, that would be a great spot to mm-hmm. focus on. Um, and just the thought of being able to, you know, rent a canoe for the day mm-hmm. from from down on river road there and, and paddle up the Beargrass Creek and seeing some wildlife that you won't see anywhere else in our city because they rely on that stream. Mm-hmm. Like you say, the turtles or the herons. I mean, that's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it would really connect people to that which sustains them, which is, you know, what this show's all about, like reminding people about things like your waterways and your other creatures that you share this 
urban habitat with, mm-hmm. uh, and and we can really do better respecting, right? Right. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a that's a lovely vision, and I'm I'm so thrilled that you're working on this, and that we're going to have all this investment in our Beargrass Creek. Is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you really want to mention today? I don't, I'm just very proud of this work. We're super super excited. MSD has been a fabulous partner throughout all this. Oh, great. Um, and I just, I think that there is a lot to look forward to here, you know? Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to get myself invested in a kayak so I can <laughs> <laughs> check out the creek in, in 2022. That's, I'm sure it'll all be done in a year, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely guaranteed. I, did, I should have <laughs> asked. Kidding. Is there some idea about how long the, what the timeline for implementation is? We do have a schedule, but I don't want to commit yeah. to anything like that okay. just because, you know, with a project of this size and with there being another partner involved, yep. there's just a, a lot of complexities there. Yep. We have talked about phasing the construction oh, sure. because of, you know, thinking about real estate acquisitions and, and things that, that take time. Oh, yeah. And just to make it more uh, feasible for us and, and our sponsor to, to handle. So... Multi-year. Multi-year. <laughs> we'll leave it at thank that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura Mattingly, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Sustainability Now today. It's been great. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute, we got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas. Yes, there are many ways for you to get involved in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Down by the waterside, we take our time. Down by the waterside, got no worries and no worries. Down by the and we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet sounds of Appalachian, and many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great tunes from Louisville's own Appalachian uh, here on the podcast versions of our programs. You can find out more about them at Appalachian.com. Well, it's time now on Sustainability Now to get your pencils sharpened, my friends, and get your calendars out. This could be the week when you take action for sustainability. But first off, my friends, I I want to begin by solemnly acknowledging that this program is broadcasting on Indigenous Peoples Day here, October 11th, 2021, the date formerly set aside by our genocidal colonialist nation to honor this hemisphere's original white male conqueror, Christopher Columbus. Funded by the Catholic Monarchs of Spain on October 12th, 1492, Columbus and his three ships made landfall in the Americas. His landing place was an island in the Bahamas known by its native inhabitants as Guanahani. Columbus subsequently visited the islands now known as Cuba and Hispaniola, establishing a colony in what is now Haiti. Columbus returned to Europe in early 1493, bringing a number of captured natives with him. He also gave the name Indios or Indians to the indigenous peoples that he encountered, erroneously believing he had reached the Far East. As a colonial governor, Columbus was accused by his contemporaries of significant brutality and was soon removed from his post. In 
Columbus's strained relationships with the crown of Castile and its appointed colonial administrators in America led to his arrest and removal from Hispaniola in 1500 and later to protracted litigation over the benefits that he and his heirs claimed were owed to them by the crown. Columbus's expeditions inaugurated a period of white male conquest, colonization, genocide, and erasure of indigenous peoples that lingers in our culture to this day. This man does not deserve veneration. He deserves rebuke. Honoring Columbus today is shamefully ignorant and perpetuates white supremacy. So instead, we here at Ford Radio take a moment today to honor all those destroyed and harmed by Columbus's legacy. We are broadcasting to you from the traditional lands of the Cherokee, the Shawnee, the Osage, Hopewell, and Haudenosaunee, who suffered genocide and forced displacement from these lands. We give thanks for the long-standing relationship that indigenous nations have to this land and seek to learn from it in order to heal our own broken relationship with the land. We acknowledge that Louisville was founded in segregation and structural racism. We lament the historical and ongoing injustices that indigenous black and brown peoples endure in this country and around the world. May our words and deeds reflect this reality and contribute to fostering more respectful relationships with indigenous, black, and brown peoples. And so, on this date, Indigenous Peoples Day, let's recommit to taking action to respect the land and our brothers and sisters on this planet by taking action for sustainability this week. So here's what we can do. On Tuesday, October 12th, from 1 to 3 p.m. at 28th and Dumanil, there is going to be a free tree giveaway at Parkland Plaza for residents of Districts 1 through 6. This is sponsored by Trees Louisville, and the trees are one-gallon pots. Again, it's Tuesday, October 12th, from 1 to 3 p.m. Wall supplies last at the Parkland Plaza there at 28th and Dumanil. There is a limit of two trees per person. Species include the lovely black walnut, persimmon, I love it, two food-bearing trees, willow, oak, and burr oak. So come on out this Tuesday, October 12th from 1 to 3. And coming up on Thursday, October 14th, the University of Louisville is hosting its annual farm-to-table dinner, and everyone is welcome to come on out from 5 to 7 p.m. It's safe. It's outside at the Belknap Academic Building Quad, and there is a ticket price of $20, or if you're a student at UofL, two meal swipes. And if you want cocktails, it's five more dollars. Tickets are available at any UofL dining register, or you can give them a call at 502-852-5211, or just show up. You don't need to get tickets in advance. Join us for good food and live music. UofL Dining is hosting this special event to help you reap the bounty of the harvest season and support local farmers. Join us for a celebration of farmers, local food, and most of all, our cardinal community. Each of our executive chefs has carefully crafted a locally sourced dish inspired by quality 
quality ingredients and Kentucky-style favorites. At 6 p.m., we will be presenting the 2021 Josh Smith Memorial Sustainability Award to a community member or group who has contributed to UofL's sustainability initiatives and to improving our community. Tickets are available again for 20 bucks or $5 for cocktails. And again, you can get them in advance by calling 502-852-5211, but you can just show up at the door and support our local Kentucky farms and join us for an evening of flavor, culinary arts, and community. More information is available at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Hope to see you Thursday evening. It's going to be a great event, and I'm really excited to present our annual sustainability award to a community partner who I'm sure forward radio listeners will be really thrilled to hear is winning the award this year. Also on Thursday, unfortunately, it's a competing event because it's also at 6 p.m. on Thursday, October 14th. Falls City Community Bike Works is hosting a beer fundraiser at Logan Street Market there at 1001 Logan Street. Come on out and support Shelby Park's own community bike shop dedicated to making bicycle transportation more affordable and accessible for people of all ages and backgrounds. Falls City does this by providing the workspace tools and expertise instruction that people need to learn about bicycle maintenance and repair by refurbishing donated used bikes and channeling them to people in need of reliable transportation and finally by building a sense of community between volunteers and users that transcends the specific socioeconomic realities of those involved. If you support sustainability, you must support Falls City Community Bike Works. Tickets for the beer fundraiser at Logan Street Market on Thursday at 6 p.m. are $35 or you can get two for $55 and they include beer from Wild Hops, fruit from Foco, and music by DJ Sebastian. They're available on Eventbrite.com Com, and you can find the link at facebook.com slash FCC Bike Works. Facebook.com slash FCC Bike Works for the Thursday, 6 p.m. at Logan Street Market Falls City Community Bike Works Beer Fundraiser. Coming up on Friday through Sunday, it's the annual Take Root Red State Reproductive Justice Conference. It's virtual this year. This incredible annual conference hosted by Kentucky Health Justice Network. You learned all about them on this program back in May of last year, actually. They include um, tracks on environmental justice, reproductive justice 101, abortion, BIPOC communities, birth, harm prevention, movement building, and the trans community. The conference kicks off at 5 p.m. on Friday with a panel discussion, followed by a film screening of the film Belly of the Beast. On Saturday, you won't want to miss keynote speaker Ash Williams and their discussion on abortion and abolition. On Sunday, they are closing out the conference with a panel discussion with SAS, Self-Managed Abortion Safe and Supported, as well as the Yellowhammer Fund, an abortion fund and reproductive justice organization focused on the Deep South, and ReproCare. More information and registration is available at KentuckyHealthJusticeNetwork.org. Again, that's Take Root Red State Reproductive Justice Conference Friday through Sunday, the 15th through the 17th. Get more information and register at KentuckyHealthJusticeNetwork.org. Also coming up on Saturday, it's the second to last Shively Farmers and Artisans Market that you heard about a few months ago here on Sustainability Now. It's every other Saturday until the end of the month, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Shively City Hall and Library. They're at 3920 Dixie Highway. The last two markets are October 16th and the 30th. For more information, go to Instagram or Facebook and look for Shively Farmers Market KY. 
And also on Saturday, the 16th at 11 a.m., there's going to be an Irish Hill Adaptive Reuse Walking Tour that starts at Work Architecture, 1122 Rogers Street. The Society of Urban Perambulators, led by Patrick Piuma, director of UofL's Urban Design Studio, is hosting a walking loop with our field guide, Mitchell Kirsting, of Work Architecture and Design and friends around the Irish Hill neighborhood and some forays into adjacent Phoenix Hill. We will see some adaptive reuse, new infill, and historic underground structures. We'll meet at Work Architecture at 10.45 a.m. and begin the stroll at 11 a.m. on Saturday the 16th from firehouses, cemeteries, alleys, beer caves, and modern infill. Irish Hill offers something for everyone, so come on out and check it out this Saturday at 11 a.m. at 1122 Rogers Street. More information is available at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also on Saturday, on the afternoon, it's a Before You Buy workshop from the Louisville Climate Action Network on Going Solar. It's going to be held at 1 p.m. on Saturday at Highland Shelby Park Free Public Library in the Mid-City Mall. The Louisville Climate Action Network wants to help you learn how to be a savvier consumer from deciding whether your home business or ground is suitable to choosing a certified installer. Whatever your needs are, whatever your questions are about going solar, this is the workshop for you. Learn more and register at louisvillecan.org. And coming out this Saturday, the 16th at 1 p.m. at the Highlands Shelby Park Library in Mid-City Mall. Also on Saturday at 2 p.m., it's the next in the Tenant Organizing Training, Collectivizing Our Struggles in collaboration with tenant-led organizations across the state. Kentucky Tenants, a project of Root Cause Research Center, launched this tenant organizing training series way back in August, and you heard about it here yet at that time on this program. And the training continues this Saturday, October 16th, with Power Mapping, an introduction for tenants. And it wraps up on December 18th when they'll be back in person here in Louisville with Tenant Organizing in Kentucky. Where do we go from here? You can sign up anytime between now and that final training on December 18th. Learn more and register to participate at rootcauseresearch.org slash tenant training. Also on Saturday the 16th, there's going to be a Wilderness Louisville Forest Adventure from 2 to 8 p.m. or you can stay overnight in camp near the Jefferson Memorial Forest Environmental Education Center at 12304 Holesclaw Hill Road. You can join Wilderness Louisville for this family-friendly fall exploration of Jefferson Memorial Forest. The event is held near the Forest Environmental Ed Center and offers a wide variety of activities showcasing all that the forest has to offer staff and volunteers from the forest introduce visitors to our native plant gardens, animal exhibits, and education pond. Activities for kids are provided in the Nature Explorer area. You can climb a climbing wall, try your hand at archery, enjoy an expert, uh, join an expert on a guided hike, and fish at Mitchell Hill Lake. Come early for the Wilderness Louisville 5K race that starts at 9 a.m. Free afternoon activities include archery, pond study, guided hikes, pumpkin decorating, hay rides, and nature play. Night Time activities include live music by Kiana and the Sun Kings, a spooky hike on the cemetery trail, stargazing, and s'mores by the bonfire. After a big day of activities, you can join us for a camp out in the field there at the Environmental Ed Center. Bring a picnic dinner. The fee for camping is $15, festival-style camping for all ages. A parent or legal guardian must accompany anyone under 18. Space is limited for camping, so reserve your spot today by calling 502 502- 
368-5404. And you can register for activities on the day of the event. Full details are at wildernesslouisville.org. And I also want to let you know that community tree plantings with the Metro Division of Community Forestry start this week. Uh, They'll run October 17th through November 7th. Louisville Parks and Recreation is seeking volunteers to help with fall planting of street trees in our urban core. No experience is necessary. Tools, gloves, and instruction will be provided. This year, we're focusing on the downtown central business district right here where Ford Radio comes to you from because it is one of the worst (laughs) urban heat islands in our city. So you can come help restore the tree canopy in our downtown, help cool down the downtown core and our station here as well the schedule begins this sunday october 17th from 1 to 4 p.m and there'll be another planting on monday the 18th 10 a.m to noon continues throughout the week with a bunch more dates running through sunday november 7th you'll need to register for these volunteer opportunities in order to be sent the specific downtown location that we'll be planting at on each day and you can do so using the better impact app you can find the link to register at facebook.com slash Lou Urban Forestry. That's L-O-U Urban Forestry. For any questions, you can contact Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot Flarshine, F-L-A-R-S-H-E-I-M at LouisvilleKY dot gov. Or you can call or text Sarah at 502-901-8191. And I hope to see you out there in the downtown urban core replanting our urban tree canopy i'll certainly be joining for many of those dates i'm looking forward to it last thing i want to let you know monday october 18th at 6 p.m it's the league of women voters of louisville community forum on fair maps 2021 redistricting gerrymandering versus fair maps it's going to be taking place at the lang house there at 115 south ewing and, and the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan political organization that encourages the informed and active participation of citizens in government, works to increase understanding of major public policy issues, and influences public policy through education and advocacy. They've been doing this work in Louisville for over 100 years. One of the ways they work to increase understanding of major public policy issues is through these monthly community forums. The next topic is constantly in the news, redrawing our legislative boundaries after the 2020 census. The guest speakers are the vice president and redistricting chair for the League of Women Voters of Kentucky, D. Pragliasco, and Susan Perkins Weston from the League of Women Voters of Kentucky Redistricting Committee. They'll share info on redistricting, gerrymandering versus fair maps, and what you can do to ensure an open, transparent process with with public input. After each federal census, each state must redraw boundaries for their congressional, state, and local legislative districts. Results from the 2020 census have been released, with the Kentucky General Assembly expected to redraw the districts in early next year. Their decision will last for the next 10 years. This community forum will be in-person as well as virtual, if you prefer. It's free and open to the public, but registration is required and be done online via Eventbrite. You can find the link at facebook.com slash LWV Louisville for League of Women Voters. That's facebook.com slash LWV Louisville. Or you can do it by phone at 502-895-5218 or email Louisville at gmail.com for the Monday, October 18th, 6 p.m. Community Forum on Fair Maps. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.